from Kurtco Media. That's how it is with these cars. They come into our lives, they impress themselves on us, and we impress ourselves on the object. So at a certain point, whoever becomes the third owner has the excitement that I have owning this car and using this car and sharing this car. That was the voice of Donald Osborne, our guest today on Cars That Matter. This is Cars That Matter. This is Robert Ross with Cars That Matter, and I'm here today with Donald Osborne, CEO of the Audrain Automobile Museum. Donald, welcome to the program. Hello, Robert. Thank you very much. It's great to be here. I'm always eager to have a chat with you. It's been a long time, and to talk about cars. You and I have known one another for a number of years now, and if there were ever a renaissance man in the car community, you would be he. Your sartorial flair alone elevates you above the fray, Donald, in a concourse world populated by my polyester shirts and ties, your style stands apart. But wait, there's more. I'm not done singing your praises yet. You're an opera singer. You're a certified appraiser. You're an auctioneer. But importantly, as a guy who attempts to do this myself, you're one of the most engaging automotive writers that I have read. In addition to being an off-the-charts Italian car acolyte, I mean, you check all the boxes. Well, Robert, as I like to say, it's the fruit of a tragic youth. There's nothing better than growing up without friends to gain a very wide knowledge of cars because I spent all my time by myself reading about cars and dreaming about cars. So the fact that I get to do it now as an adult is pretty remarkable. It's great hope as well for all those lonely kids out there, boys and girls who think, oh, well, I don't have friends to play with, but I do love to read. There's hope. You know, Donald, if I didn't know any better, I'd say you and I were growing up next door to one another because I was an only child and spent most of my time reading and fixated on machines and nature and all those kinds of things. So what a great story. I want to talk more about that. But right now, it seems like you've been been the talk of the collector car community lately, what with your recent appointment as the CEO of Audrain in November 2019, and a lot of the commotion you guys are stirring up. I mean, you're really shaking things up out there in the car community. Well, yes, I like to think that we are. And of course, it's very interesting because life has a way of taking its own path. And I am a big believer in following that path. You mentioned the fact that I'm an opera singer. I've actually had five completely different careers in my life, all of which which seemed at the time to be slightly unrelated to the other. However, they have all culminated in the position that I have now because it's a bit of everything that I've done and I couldn't do what I'm doing now had I not done those other things before. If you would have asked me a year and a half ago, Donald, what will you be doing in the winter of 2020, 2021? I probably would have had an answer very different than the one that I have today. I had no clue in the beginning of October, 2019, that I would end up here in Newport as the CEO of the Audrain. It came up that quickly. And it was a very interesting thing because people have asked me after working for myself for 20 years in the appraisal business and consulting, why would I want to take a job working in an organization? The answer is quite simple because this organization is remarkable and Newport is a remarkable place. Newport, Rhode Island is one of the most extraordinary places on the planet. The very sense of living in history that you have in Newport is something that impressed me greatly. I was born and grew up in New York City. So I've lived in the Northeast almost all my life, except for 11 years that I spent in Southern California. It is amazing being back here in the Northeast and sort of reconnecting with a lot of my life before and also 
also really reveling in the fact that for most of the United States and indeed around the world, the Northeast is not, especially New England, is not thought of a place that's a car center. And yet it is. There are passionate collectors who live here and great collections. And some great roads, not to mention those. Absolutely. <laughs> and as I said, it was really this organization, the people that are a part of it, the team here that really led me to come here and to become a part of this museum, which is a fairly young museum. It was founded in 2014 by three partners who are passionate about cars and passionate about this city. And I found that the combination of this place and the Concord Motor Week that I helped put together was really something quite remarkable and something that I frankly couldn't resist. I certainly can't blame you. It's a lifetime opportunity and it's amazing how those dots do start getting connected. It's sort of like you can't have ignition without a spark and you can't have a spark without an ignition switch and you can't get that engine to fire without gasoline in the tank. And it sounds like all those different components came together and indeed you made some great things happen. I know that the Audrain, as you mentioned, is new, though the building is quite old. I guess it's a beautiful turn of last century industrial building that has been transformed into really an incredible showcase. It's quite a wonderful building, completed in 1903, designed by the architect Bruce Price for Adolphe Audrain, hence the name, that's where it comes from. And it's an Italian Renaissance building here on Bellevue Avenue in Newport, the same road that many of the great Newport cottages are on, Marble House and the Elms and these great turn-of-the-century Gilded Age mansions. That's what I call living large. <laughs> Exactly. And it's very interesting, too, because this is not only a great example of historic Newport architecture, but it also fits another one of my passions, which is architecture. And the fact that this building was built as a speculative venture by Adolfo Drain, who was a fellow born in California to French parents and who was in the import business. He imported China and some antiques. He had a shop in Paris and a shop in New York. And he summered here in Newport. And he built this building as a speculative venture, retail on the ground floor, offices above. And that's how the building existed until... It was purchased by the partners in 2013 with the idea of putting in their summer offices for their company and to restore the bottom for retail. But they are all car collectors. And halfway through the construction project, if you can imagine, they decided, you know what? I think we should do a museum. And so they changed the plans completely and the Audrain Automobile Museum space was created. And the building is a remarkable example of both restoration and adaptive reuse. And that's something that I think is absolutely vital to the future and future of architecture. Europeans have been doing it for years now, repurposing ancient, sometimes medieval city centers and engaging contemporary architects to make them respectful, but hugely interesting spaces. And the fact that you've done that at the Audrain is pretty remarkable. What's also remarkable about it or the contents. Looking at your website, it looks like you've got about 350 cars and motorcycles in the collection. Is that right? That is correct. That's a lot of mouths to feed, man. <laughs> yes, and our exhibitions here at the museum draw largely on the Adrain collections. We also, depending on the exhibition and the theme and the need, we occasionally borrow cars from other institutions and from collectors around the country and around the world for our exhibitions. We change exhibitions four times a year. And as a matter of fact, we just opened a new exhibition called small wonders mini micro pedal and toy cars a fascinating sideline of the car collecting passion isn't it start them young start them absolutely young and it's very interesting too because you think about the bookends of this particular exhibition the exhibition recently closed was called from the racetrack to the opera marks that did it all and we had eight pairs of cars for manufacturers that were competition cars and luxury or touring cars showing the great range and flexibility of the great manufacturers like jaguar isotto freschini oscar ferrari alfa romeo 
Romeo, Chevrolet, Delahaye. That exhibition and our current exhibition that is running from November through February shows that range of the collections and the reach. Cars in the collection go back to 1899 and run to 2021. These are some pretty brainy concepts for exhibitions too. It seems like there's a lot of thought that goes into them and obviously a lot of didactic material that probably pays off for visitors. Let's get back to those cars for a minute though. And bikes actually won't leave the motorcycles out. I know just cruising your website, I was immediately captivated by a beautiful dark green Alpha, a Crozier, a Turing bodied Alpha. Oh man, that's fantastic. Is that one of the cars in your collection? And what are some of the other standouts? That is indeed certainly my favorite car, or among certainly my favorite cars in the collection, but it means a lot to this collection because it is in fact the car that is on our logo. So that says a great deal about what that car means to this collection. 1939 Alpha 6C 2500, Crozier Turing Berlinetta, one of the first of the 6C 2500s built in 1939, an absolutely exquisite car. And as I said, one of the things that's also very important about this collection is the fact that the cars are all driven. The cars are taken regularly on events around the country and around the world. I've taken the collections 1902 Yale and done the London to Brighton. One of the collections, two Gull Wings, has done the Millamilia, the 1930 Duesenberg Murphy town car, which is delivered new to Ananaline Holt Inman Duke, Doris Duke's mother, went on the Duesenberg Straight 8 tour last year. So you not only talk the talk, you walk the walk. The fact that these cars get out and run and people get to hear them, that's the magic. One of the things that we initiated were a number of digital initiatives to help bring the museum out to people when they couldn't come to see us. And we post on our YouTube channel, the Audrain Museum Network, two videos a week of me driving cars from the collections, some of my colleagues here on the Audrain team driving some of their cars, riding some motorcycles, because I don't ride motorcycles. I admire them, but I don't ride. That's also been a very exciting thing to do, to be able to have people come to the museum and perhaps in an exhibition see a car that they've seen a video of. So they get an idea of what the dynamic characteristics of the car are. And as I always like to do in our conversations, in conversations that I have with friends, with colleagues, with clients, is to talk about why we connect with cars. And I think it's all about the fact that they are spectacular sculpture, but they're kinetic sculpture. And they are seen beautifully, wonderfully presented in our gallery, which is great. But it's even better to see them out on the road, see the sun pass across the flanks, to hear them, to smell them. We want to deliver as full an experience as possible for people who are interested in our collections and for our visitor guests. I had a chance to look at some of those. I've seen some well-known folks like your pal Jay Leno, who's accompanied you on a number of these, and that always makes it fun. But I watched one just recently where you were driving a Ferrari Enzo and a beautiful 51-212 Enter. I thought it was such a beautifully wrought disquisition on not just how each car looks and feels and sounds, but how they kind of relate to one another in the whole context of, well, all things Ferrari. Of course, you walk away saying to yourself, wow, that Enzo's neat, but that 212, that's even neater. It's a funny thing, Robert, because at my core, I'm an old car guy. And I freely admit to having, I won't say a problem, but not really being able to warm up to a lot of modern and contemporary supercars and sports cars. And it's because of the fact that I like to feel a direct connection between me and the machine. Modern cars are very, very capable and very safe that you could buy the kind of performance of the showroom floor that you can today would have been unimaginable to us back in the 1970s. But the cars that really speak 
directly to me are those cars that communicate what they're doing the most clearly. Obviously, the 1951 Ferrari is something which is very, very, very visceral. One of the great things I observed in that video, I love design, as you know, and the Michelotti design for that car is just absolutely glorious. So subtle, though. That's a refined, acquired taste, if you will. It doesn't have flashy fins. It doesn't have any of the stuff that people got used to later on in the 50s from some of the more flamboyant Italian design studios. For sure. And indeed, that car is all about very subtle details. The side lights that are put in the front of those chromed coves. So when you turn the light on, it reflects back into the chromed cove. I mean, that's amazingly clever. But it's a car that you walk up to and you say, wow, this is so elegant and refined and beautiful. You expect it to have this very smooth, easy driving experience, which it does not because it's a very thinly disguised competition car. And so it's noisy and the suspension is not very compliant and all those things, which make it a lot of fun to drive, but seem to be telling a slightly different story than the body and design and styling and details promise. And the Enzo is very much that same type of car in a time when most cars of its type are incredibly cosseting and too quiet and a bit too heavy and a bit too distanced from the road experience. And that's what I found that there was so little ground traveled between 1951 <laughs> and that Enzo, which is sort of shocking, but delightful. So the philosophy remains the same. And I guess it's really something that Ferrari even attempts to impart today. The new Ferrari Roma is called by its designer as Formula One in an evening dress. And I thought that was kind of an interesting picture to paint about a car that performs so well, but has such an elegant look about it. That to me is the absolute ideal. The entire concept of the wolf, not in sheep's clothing, but the wolf in a tuxedo is a fascinating one to me. And cars that are more than people expect in the last exhibition, actually a car from my collection was featured, a 1953 Jaguar Mark VII sedan. Good heavens, now that was a big old opulent luxury machine. A big opulent luxury machine, which is also raced. My particular car, which I'm incredibly grateful and fortunate to say that I'm the second owner of a 1953 Jaguar Mark VII, which is extraordinary. Good heavens, that's not possible. Did the guy buy it when he was 16 years old? It was a gift <laughs> from his father in 1953 on the birth of his first child. I bought it at auction last March from the estate. So this car is absolutely complete down to every tool in the double toolboxes in the doors, the owner's manual, a box full of receipts, including the original sales invoice for the car, absolutely everything. Dean Edmonds Jr., the fellow who owned the car for its entire life, he was also a great enthusiast of Bugattis as well, but he loved performance. He was an engineer. So in 1955, he had the engine upgraded to 120M spec with the C-head, larger carburetors, uh, hotter cam. So the car goes. It's absolutely amazing. And also, unusually for a Mark 7 sold here new in the U.S., it's also not an automatic. So it's a four-speed manual. It was a C-type in a saloon body. Exactly. What a car. Those are the kind of stories that make these cars more special. It's a classic case of the whole being greater than the sum of the parts. When you start to put all these things together, whether it's a receipt or a cocktail napkin from the stork club that's in the glove compartment or whatever it happens to be, original air in the spare tire, those are the kinds of things that really make these acquisitions so special to imagine that these things have been preserved all these many decades. And it also reminds us of our role as the caretaker 
maker of these objects. I have often said that one of my favorite movies, and it's not a very good movie, is The Yellow Rolls Royce. As one of those sort of all-star 1960s Hollywood epics, it has a certain charm. But what I love about the movie is what it expresses and the fact that this vehicle has a life of its own and how it touches the lives of all these people over the years. And that's how it is with these cars. Ideally, they come into our lives, they impress themselves on us, and we impress ourselves on the object, hopefully not in a bad way. <laughs> not in a telephone pole or an Armaco way, right? Exactly. So that we can, again, pass those along. And so at a certain point, whoever becomes the third owner of this 1953 Jaguar both has a lot of the spirit and energy and love that Dean Edmonds put into this car, but also the excitement that I have owning this car and using this car and sharing this car. Obviously, as a museum man, you've got conservation and the institutional brief to maintain and preserve these wonderful things. It's a part of the museum's mission. But you've obviously got some other missions, too. Probably a good time to segue and talk about a very impressive Concorde that you inaugurated in 2019. Unfortunately, preempted this year, but I understand next year we got a lot to look forward to. Tell us about the Audrain Concorde. The Audrain Newport Concorde Motor Week, as you said, premiered last year in 2019. It was a tremendous success. We are very, very grateful to say. We had about 60,000 visitors here in Newport over the three days of the event, very well supported by the city and by the community and by the region. We had cars and judges and guests from all over the country and around the world. And my first connection with Newport was being hired as an appraiser to appraise the collections. And then I began to consult on the collections, on acquisitions and curation. And then was asked to come in and help with the Concord Motor Week to put it together and really shape the Concord event. And it was because I said to the... <laughs> I said to everyone here, I said, the world does not need another Concorde d'Elegance. God knows, we've got too many. But what convinced me about this is the fact that this wasn't a Concorde held in Newport. It was a Concorde held of Newport. Coming up with the theme of history, luxury, and sport which is what Newport stands for. Just ask the Vanderbilts. Exactly. The first circuit automobile race held in the U.S. was held in Cranston, Rhode Island. Obviously, the first Vanderbilt Cup was awarded here in a race in Newport at Aquidneck Park. And the first traffic citation that resulted in arrest and imprisonment happened here in Newport in 1904. So the Concours is really much more than just a six-hour car show with some cars on the lawn and a trophy. It's a big to-do. It is. And one of the things that we were very excited about last year and this year as well, and certainly for next year when you will be invited to come back to it in Newport is the fact that the entire city was involved. We had the Concord itself on the lawn at the Breakers Mansion, the great Vanderbilt Mansion on the ocean. We had another event called the Gathering for more contemporary cars and supercars at Rough Point, Doris Duke's Mansion on the ocean down Bellevue Avenue. From here, our Concord headquarters is the International Tennis Hall of Fame, which is right next door here to the museum where I sit right now. We had displays by manufacturers, at the Newport Art Museum, at the American Museum of Illustration, at Belcourt Castle. So we had events at almost every one of the major historical venues here in Newport. So people passed from one to the other, just under two miles from one end to the other. It was an amazing event. Sounds like really an amazing cultural cornucopia, if you will, not just automotive, but everything from fine art to illustration art, culinary, probably just about everything that would touch on the region's culture and history. Yes. In fact, this year, obviously, because of the scale of the 
event. We could not hold it. So we postponed it to next year. Next year, we fully expect to be back bigger and better than ever. September 30th through October 3rd, 2021 for the second Concord Motor Week. Again, this is to put a fine point on it. September 30th through October 3rd of 2021. That's something to look forward to. Donald, we have to take a quick break, but we'll be right back in just a moment. Welcome to Life Done Better. Listen to the weekly episodes where supermodel and health coach Jill DeYoung talks to some of the world's most inspiring women in health and wellness. It's the place for all the unicorns who strive to create a life on their own terms. Join us to explore, discover, and create a life done better together. Listen and subscribe from Kurt Co. Media, media for your mind. We're back with Donald Osborne. Donald, let's switch the topics up a little bit. You were talking about movies and the Yellow Rolls Royce. You folks actually had a movie about your inaugural Concours called Best in Class, The Making of a Concours. What a fascinating concept. What got you to do that? Well, it was produced by Torque Media, which is the group that Justin Bell and Tommy Kindle have, and directed by an absolutely brilliant director named John Householder, who's won many Emmy Awards for his work. I think in its initial iteration, it was going to be more of sort of a behind the scenes and how a Concours is made. And thanks to John and his vision, it really evolved into something quite different. And it's really a story that really resonates with me, certainly and everyone here, because it's a story about people. So about people and how they relate to cars and what cars mean to them. And ultimately, at the end of the day, as we've been talking about the Yellow Rolls Royce and all that, that's how it really works. And it follows, yes, the story of the Concord Motor Week and the personalities involved on the team here at the Audrain that put it on, as well as selecting a number of entrants and following them through the event and hearing their stories, how they're connected with the cars. And like every documentary that's around an event, of course, it's got a great payoff because, of course, it all builds to the Concord itself on Sunday and who wins and who doesn't win and how do they feel about it? It is one of those movies where literally you laugh, you cry, you smile, and it's a tremendous, tremendous thing. And we're very, very happy that it was made. And we're extremely happy that now it's in distribution on a number of streaming platforms. It's about every streaming platform you can think of. It also coincides quite handily with the opening of registration for the 2021 Concord Delegas, which just began on December 1st, 2020. It is hopefully the kind of thing that will give people a real feeling for what this event is. People often ask us, well, do you want to create the Pebble Beach of the East? And the answer is no, because Pebble Beach is spectacular and wonderful for what it is and how it exists. There are great Concord d'Elegance events that I've been to all over the country and around the world and in which I participated. And the best of them, like Pebble Beach, like Amelia Island, like Villa d'Este, they are very much of the place where they are. They can't be interchanged for something else. And that's the thing that does make, to me, the difference in an event that becomes a must attend and must participate in. The other thing is that we also here at the Audrain also host cars and coffee events throughout the Newport area. Even this year with the pandemic, we were able to actually host 12 events. 
of cars and coffee events. Normally we do 19. That's a job unto itself. I assume you have quite a team dedicated to these endeavors. We do. We've got a great team here in the staff of the Audrain, and we have a tremendous volunteer and docent team that are really devoted to the museum and to its efforts and activities, and a very, very enthusiastic public that really is so eager to come out and share their car experiences with friends old and new. This is fantastic. Who turns out for some of these cars and coffees? Everyone. What I love about cars and coffee events, and I love Concord Delegados as well, is that they demonstrate what I have felt for a very long time is the true democracy of car collecting. We will get everything from a Unimog to a Porsche 550 Spider. So it is literally the gamut of cars, of vehicles. Indeed, we have a fellow that brings a half track sometimes. And that's one of the things that actually we've worked really hard at bringing into our concours. Jay Leno came up with a wonderful idea, which we immediately pounced on called 30 Under 30. I wanted to ask you about that. That looked fascinating. Absolutely amazing. So incredibly popular, both with the entrance and with the visitors. And the idea is that it's a class for cars whose owners are 30 years old or younger and have $30,000 or less invested in their car. And they compete on an equal level on the field with all the other classes. Theoretically, a 30 to 30 class winner could compete for best of show. Boy, because I'll bet there's a lot of sweat equity in some of those cars. You've got a $30,000 investment in parts and materials, and you've probably got a $300,000 investment in labor and love. And the fact that some of the people that are building these cars and showing these cars may have a net worth of $15,000. As I like to say, you know, sometimes you go to a cars and coffee or a tuner event, and some of the people who are displaying vehicles have more of their net worth tied up in that vehicle than almost anyone at Pebble Beach does. Donald, you've just described me because every car that I've ever bought has been a tremendous stretch that's been well beyond my reach. And of course, you never regret having done it because the rewards can be so great. But having to stretch a little further does make it sweeter sometimes when you're able to actually grab that brass ring. Is that true? That combined with the fact that my mantra in my car collecting life has always been maximum impact for minimal outlay. So I find those things, as you well know, that are a little slightly off the track, off the radar of many people. And I never mind driving a car that I have to explain because that's why you drive an old car so you can explain it. It's absolutely true. And man, you're good at explaining these things too. I want to talk about you and some of your cars in a minute. But before we get to that, let me just ask you, this is sort of one of those big picture questions and not to put you on the spot, but what do you envision happening with the museum, your organization and your community, both in Newport and the, specifically the car folks? that are organized there. What do you see happening in 2021 and going forward once we get beyond all this mess that we're in right now and have a clear sailing ahead of us? Well, the first thing is that 2020 has shown us, and again, I have to take a pause to say we have been incredibly fortunate here at the Audrain, in Newport, in Rhode Island, in a place where we have been able to reopen the museum. We closed in late March and we reopened in early June. We've actually also opened two new shows now since the pandemic began. Even when the museum was closed, we opened a new show and did a virtual presentation of it on our YouTube channel. And then we were fortunately able to open up the museum to show people that show before we switch over to the next one. Most museums in the country have not been open basically at all this year. And that's been a great tragedy for these institutions and for the people that love them 
and for the people that want to visit them. So we're very fortunate that we've not been in that position. However, we have seen with the enthusiasm of the people who have come, who have been incredibly thankful that we are here and we're open at the Cars and Coffee events that we've done. And on what would have been the weekend of the Concord and Motor Week this year, we did a tour, a 65 and a half mile tour around the area from Narragansett, Rhode Island, through Jamestown Island and here on Aquidneck Island, around the island and through Newport. And we had people standing in front of their houses, sitting in front of their houses, waving at the cars as they drove by. It was absolutely sensational. And it just was indicative of the great energy which is pent up. I think that next year we'll see an absolute explosion of involvement with cars because people are going to want to get out and use their cars. The car market, as you know, since obviously I follow it as an appraiser and a consultant, the car market has been quite buoyant. People have been buying cars like crazy, partly out of boredom online, but that's another thing. But they have to now drive these cars. So I think that this next summer is going to see an absolute bumper crop of car events and car involvement. People are going to recognize what's important to them and how they want to share this experience with other people. People want to get together. We're going to take a short break, but we'll be right back. A Moment of Your Time, a new podcast from Kurt Co Media. Currently 21 years old. And today, I felt like I'm magic extended from her fingertips down to the you base of my You have to take care spine. of yourself because the world needs you and Trust your Trust me, voice. every do-gooder that asked about me was ready to spit on my when dream. Her fingers were facing me. You can feel like your purpose and your worth is really being questioned. going to stop me from playing the piano. She buys walkie-talkies, wonders to whom she should give the second device. Cats don't love humans. We never did. We never will. We just find The beauty of worth. rock climbing is that you can only focus on what's right in life. And so our American life begins. We may need to stay apart, but let's create together. Available on all podcast platforms. Submit your piece at kurtco.com slash a moment of your time. Welcome back to Cars That Matter. So Donald, let me ask you. Clearly, you're a guy with automotive passion that extends far beyond your professional role. It's something that you feel very personally. When did the Italian car bug bite? Because you're known within the community as a guy who has, despite your very interesting Jag saloon, you've got an Italian affliction. Let's talk about that for a minute. Robert, it's a funny thing because it's very much the chicken or the egg, the cart or the horse. Is it Italian opera that did it? Well, (laughs) I would probably say it happened more or less simultaneously. As that child reading by himself in the corner or at the library, my oldest brother subscribed to Road and Track magazine and to Competition Press and Auto Week. I would read his magazines avidly, and I was absolutely fascinated by all these stories I would read of these events in Europe and reading about these wonderfully exotic cars. And when I went to my first car show, my two brothers took me to my first auto show, New York Auto Show. I felt completely in love with these foreign cars that I'd never seen before, with Alphas and Maseratis. And it was quite something. And then, of course, I also became fascinated by Italian culture. And that came through music, through my exposure to opera as a young person. And so I became fascinated by all things culturally Italian, Italian art, Italian architecture, Italian music, Italian food. And of course, the cars were all very much a part of it. I had this vision, which was only slightly dispelled on my first visit to Italy in 1978. I just dreamed that Italy was all like La Dolce Vita and Il Sorpasso. That was it. It was just these amazing cars just parked all over the streets of Rome and people sitting in cafes and wearing amazing clothing. And it's just, yeah, that, that's Italy. So how can you not love that? Any post-prandial <laughs> 
stroll through the streets of any town in Italy still proves that they've got an edge on fashion and an edge on style that everybody else wishes they had. Absolutely. La Bella Figura is everything. What's in the garage today? The garage today is fairly empty for a variety of reasons, one of which is the fact that I started a number of years ago really paring down the number of cars I had because of the amount of travel that I did. This year, of course, obviously it was slightly different, but it's even astonishing to me to realize that I basically stopped traveling for business in mid-March, but by mid-March, I'd already flown 75,000 miles this year. But someone asked me recently how many cars I've owned, and I said, I used to actually keep an Excel spreadsheet that listed the cars that I owned, and I quickly gave up on it because I would own cars and forget that I had owned them. Nonetheless, I have been for a very, very long time a serial collector. So generally something goes for something else to come in. And I don't like to keep more than four or so old cars because they need to be driven. And now that I'm back here in the Northeast, and I'm now back in a place with a car season. It's not Palm Springs, that's for sure. So right now, the fleet consists of the 53 Jaguar, a 1960 Fiat 1500 Oscar Pininfrina Coupe, a 1981 Ferrari 400i automatic, a 1987 Fiat Panda 750 CL, and a 1999 Mercedes 230 SLK 5-speed manual. That is a very eclectic mix. You've named a few of my favorites in there, and one of the greatest oddities and beautiful little jewels in history, and that's the little Fiat Oscar. That's quite something. There are those cars. There are two cars in particular that I had a second chance with, which you don't often get a second chance, and obviously that means the car means something to you when you sell a car and you're able to get it back. That's a rarity. I had a friend when I lived in Pennsylvania who was a fellow who was a collector, and he also did his own restorations and just had fun with cars like to do serious rallying, off-road rallying and things like that. And he was a great Lancia enthusiast. And he had a Lancia Fulvia Zagato sitting in the back of his barn shop for years. And I'd go by and I'd see it. And I always say to him, you know, when are you going to do something about that car? And he said, oh, I'm going to get to it one day. I'm going to get to it one day. It was painted a beautiful, dark, metallic green with a tan interior. Oh, you're killing me. That's one of the most beautiful designs in Italian car history. One day I'm visiting with him. He said, you know what? I need the room. So I need to get rid of that Fulvia. So I'm going to pull it out, clean it up, paint it red. And so I said, you are not going to paint that car red. So I bought it from him and took it to a friend, took the engine out, have it rebuilt, sent it up to a body shop to have the car painted. And of course, this is the pre-internet days. <laughs> and the fellow that I took it to was an expert painter. He was a fellow in the shop north of Albany, New York. And he stripped the car down and he telephoned me and said, oh, you know, I can't find that color that the car was painted. And of course, he had left no reference piece. But I think I found the color that's close. So I'm going to paint the car and you come up and let me know if you like it. So I drove the four and a half hours from my house in Pennsylvania up to Albany to see the car. And I absolutely freaked out. I said, my God, you painted my car Kelly green. Oh my God. Oh no. It wasn't Kelly green. It actually painted it that dark green that Alpha used for spiders in the 1970s. I know it well. So I, I, I got the car back, put it all back together and drove the car from many years and said, one day I'm going to paint it that original color. Then I ended up trading the car to another friend of mine who was also a dealer for a 1953 Lancia Ardea sedan. It always loved pre-war Lancias. That is a rarity. Neat little car. Plus, it had been directly imported from Italy by this friend of mine who had the car many years ago, and it had been kept by an Italian owner. It had never been modified for the new road code in Italy, so it didn't have new Volkswagen taillights on the back. It still had the original semaphores, the original small central light, its original Italian registration from Pistoia. It was a great car. 
So when I traded the Fulvia, I said to my friend, I said, if you ever sell this car, you have to give me rights first refusal. I said, okay, fine. So I love the Ardea. And every six months or so, I'd call this guy and say, you know, maybe I want that Fulvia back. He said, no, 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 I'm never going to sell it. My wife loves the car. I'm never going to sell it. Two and a half years later, I get a call. I said, you know what? I think I'm going to sell the Fulvia. Are you interested? I said, when can I come get it? I didn't even ask him how much he wanted. And I drove down to New York and I picked up the car and I sat in the seat and I thought, I'm home again. Fast forward, I move out to California, bring the Fulvia with me. And I decided, okay, it's now time to get it repainted, the original color. I know exactly what the color was, how we can find a verde ostende. It's great. And so I bring it to my body guy and he says, okay, yeah, this is the color. He said, you know, I was looking through these colors and there's also this color. I thought, oh, oh my God, incredibly beautiful light metallic green that Zagato had never used on the Fulvia, but they did use it on the Flavia Sport. Maybe you can con yourself into believing. And... In period, a good customer, Zagato, could have had this car painted that color. So painted that color came out absolutely sensationally. And that car actually plays a very strong role in my future, where I am today. Because I was chatting with Jay, but he said he had never driven a Fulvia before. I said, you're kidding. You have to drive my car. So I did an episode of Jay Leno's Garage, his YouTube channel, bringing the Fulvia to the garage. And that was the first thing that we did together on camera. And the reaction was so terrific. People loved our chemistry. And that led to him asking me to do Jay Leno's Garage. Isn't that great? Well, you're definitely an automotive hero and a hero to a lot of people who have certainly enjoyed your career. And I think so happy that you've had an opportunity to get into something entirely new. And I can't imagine the Andrein having a better person to lead them into the future than a guy as well-rounded and enthusiastic as you are. Among the other ventures that we have begun here at the Andrein is we've launched a new magazine. Do tell. It's a quarterly magazine, Linkage, geared for the automotive life experiences, opinions, and values. We've got a great team of writers. The executive editor is Chester Allen, with whom I worked for many years at Sports Car Market. He left Sports Car Market a while back and a great group of writers. And it's all about how people engage with cars, events, restoration, track days. And of course, in terms of the market, we look at the market from the point of view of what makes something interesting and why are people buying a certain car because they connect with it in a certain way. It's all about literally experiences. It's published four times a year. Plus we have a website, linkagemag.com, which is the daily version of Linkage Magazine. We have breaking news stories, blogs, highlights from a linkage, the printed magazine, plus some special content as well, special video content. I did a four-part interview with Zach Brown, the CEO of McLaren Racing, talking about all sorts of things, cars and future Formula One and all of that. In our inaugural issue, we also did a profile of the Goodwood Speed Week and Young Lord March, again, as a follow-on to our Audrain push about young people in cars and the fact that at 30 years old, he's really interested in what his dad has done, which is quite interesting because, of course, the Duke's father had no interest in cars whatsoever. So it's good to know that it's not going to skip another generation there. This sounds fascinating. I will certainly be subscribing. So you'll see my name on that list. Anything as interesting as that definitely belongs in the library and on the coffee table. Donald Osborne, it has been such a great pleasure to talk to you today about your own passions and your forthcoming endeavors with the Audrain. We look forward to your Concord Elegance next year. More importantly, we look forward to having you back on the program to talk about cars that matter. Thanks so much, Robert. Come back next time as we continue to talk about the passions that drive us and the passions we drive.
This episode of Cars That Matter was hosted by Robert Ross, produced by Chris Porter, edited by Chris Porter, theme song by Celeste and Eric Dick, additional music and sound by Chris Porter. Please like, subscribe, and share this podcast. I'm Robert Ross. Thanks for listening. Kurt Co. Media. Media for your mind.